There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Here we are. The last weekend of the Premier League season is now over, and it was one full of storylines and drama. A night where Manchester United's game was postponed due to the discovery of a suspicious package, Tottenham's implosion, and City's confirmation of Champions League football, we are left with the realization that another incredible Premier League season has finished. In order to discuss these major storylines, as well as review the games from the weekend and preview two finals coming up this week, I'm joined by Karthik Krishnayar and Kristen Henach. Gentlemen, in section one, we'll talk about the top five, six teams and the games they played. In section two, we'll talk about the relegation teams and the mid-table teams. Uh, We'll update our listeners on the leagues around Europe. And then finally, in section three, we'll preview Champions League, uh, sorry, the Europa League final and FA Cup final. So let's start in section one, guys, with the big story, arguably the biggest story from today which is uh, what happened at Old Trafford. Uh, For our listeners who might not have followed this story, about 20 minutes before kickoff, there was a... uh, the Stratford end as well as the Sir Alex stand was evacuated uh, because a suspicious package was found in the Sir Alex stand, northwest corner of Old Trafford in the Sir Alex stand. Uh, and well, the, while initially it was reports were that the game was only postponed by 45 minutes, we then found out that the game had actually been postponed entirely uh, and a bomb squad was called in and, an, and a controlled explosion was performed by a bomb squad, detonated at the stadium itself. Um, now, guys, obviously, we don't know all the details right now. There, there are reports coming in that the game might be replayed by the time we're, uh, we'll be kicking off by the time we finish recording. This is unconfirmed at the moment. Uh, but the point I want to bring up is the seriousness of this situation. First of all, the huge credit goes to the Manchester police and everyone involved with Manchester United for uh, making sure everyone got out of the stadium safely and everyone was safe. Uh, but in general, what bothered, what scares me most, Chris, is the fact that on the uh, on the back of this and the fact that Euro- the Europas, uh, Euros are coming up, Copa is coming up, and uh, football tournaments are becoming more important, these sorts of events, these football games with 70,000 people in the stadium are in some ways perfect targets for uh, those the people that we, the, the terrorists that we so fear and uh, hate in some ways. Yeah, it was the Paris attacks obviously were, I believe it originally aimed at a potential football event and football stadium. Right. In that case, the the the, the individual was actually not able to enter the stadium. Uh, he was stopped at one of the gates. But absolutely, it was the France versus Germany, uh, the game. And you know, there's video of uh, when Patrice Evra kicks the ball. You can hear a detonation going off outside the stadium. So horrific stuff. It, it is, and it sets up a worrying uh, sort of. I think I think what it does is it unsettles fans ahead of what will be a big summer. Not just in Europe, obviously we have the Copa America in the United States, and I do worry that those really could overshadow tournaments and moments. More importantly, where the continents come together, and for all the kind of back and forth and such you'll have with opposition fans, it's actually a real moment of unity for the most part of these kind of tournaments and I hope that's not destroyed and overshadowed by these kind of attacks um, I think what we can say if we're looking to take even the the slightest sort of 
positive from the, the situation is that with with each instance like this, we learn something new as a society about these people, their motivations, their intentions, and how they aim to to destabilize the situations and events that we want to go to. I hope that again we take a, another big lesson from this one. I also think you have to commend the police and and security services for again doing a stellar job because it's a position they face where one mistake could be fatal and to consistently see them not just do the right thing but also save lives which i think is something we we tend to forget when these attacks don't go as the uh perpetrators intended they've saved lives today and i think they deserve to be commended for that Karthik, I'm, I'm, uh, before I get you in on this, I'm just looking at Twitter and uh, there are people who, uh, sorry, TalkSport is saying that the game will be played today. Uh, the Manchester United Twitter feed is, uh, I'm just going to quote them here. They say, quote, experts carried out a control explosion at Old Trafford on what has been described as, quote, an incredibly lifelike explosive device. That's what the police said. And they add that the ex- experts' assessment has now concluded and found that the device wasn't viable uh, and a full search of the stadium is ongoing. So uh, there, there are wide-ranging ideas as in, in terms of whether this was a hoax or uh, this was a prank, but in any case, absolutely frightening. Well, there's a difference between a hoax and a prank because right. I think uh, it could very well have been a prank, which still puts uh, is, a, is a form of terrorism, puts mm-hmm. uh, 75,000 uh, fans of both clubs that come to uh, Old Trafford in addition to all the security staff, uh, all the match day staff, and the players in, in jeopardy. And after Paris... We have to be vigilant about these things. So, uh, very jo- uh, well done job by uh, by Manchester United today and AFC Bournemouth, and of course uh, Greater Manchester Police, who uh, had to handle this unfortunate situation. It is an act of terror to hold us hostage, and there's been so much discussion and debate, if you will, about uh, the security around the Euro 2016 tournament that's going to kick off in France in just a few weeks on uh, June 10th, and and I've even been reading memos this week, late this week, about security and, and the security precautions that are going to be taken by the French police around the co- competition uh, in light of what happened in Paris um, in, in November. This is just a stark reminder of, of the world we live in. As, as football fans, we, we can't be in a vacuum. And avoid all of these things. Football is a great thing to get our minds off of um, the challenges in this world. But unfortunately, all too often now, uh, the, the stark reality of uh, geopolitics and the world we live in and social media and, and being able to, uh, to, to to provide these kinds of pranks um, generates a lot of social media buzz mm-hmm. uh, and uh, football clash head on and today was another one of those days. So uh, we'll see. We'll see when this match is rescheduled. I, I don't know that anyone is, is concerned about the result now. We right. just want to get the game in and, and thankful no one was hurt or killed. Yeah, in lieu of... Um... A lot other facts that we don't have. We're gonna uh, go move on from this conversation because, as Karthik said, football allows us to uh, distract ourselves from the horrific nature of things that occur in daily life. So we are gonna move ahead. But if I, as I, as we record, if I see any interesting or important bit of news, I will share that with our listeners. But unfortunately, by the time our listeners listen to this, they'll have a lot more information than we actually do currently. So Karthik, let's get back to football. Uh, Swansea. 1-1 against Man City. Essentially, Man City, Karthik, did exactly enough just to ensure uh, they would stay in Champions League football, which is something what essentially what we predicted in the preview podcast. Uh, and in some ways, I think it's fairly appropriate that Ihenaccio scored the goal that keeps him in the Champions League because I think under the tutelage of Pep Guardiola, he can be a very important player for Manchester City. And look at how Manchester City is able to get out and attack early with uh, Iannaccio playing alongside Aguero in a 4-4-2 or 4-2-2-2 formation as it was as it's set up today. So there's a difference in how uh, you attack. And, and you wonder if Pellegrini, on, on his way out, uh, he was never terribly comfortable with the 4-2-3-1 formation. He, he's, he's a 4-4-2 guy, and we've seen the 4-4-2 now work once again for Simeone in Spain until uh, match day 37, but certainly working in the Champions League, and work for... Um, for Leicester City and Claudio Ranieri, uh, and it worked. People don't talk about this. It worked for Manchester City two seasons ago in the Premier League to win the Premier League. There's been so much written about how this formation is not um, it, this formation is not a, a uh, formation for modern football, uh, particularly the British 
press. We're four four two was a very kind of English formation, or seen as a very English, Scottish, British formation for, uh, prior to recent years. Um, now you're wondering if you're seeing a more kind of flexible, dynamic way to play in a four four two. I actually had this conversation last night with. Uh, Fort Lauderdale Swickers coach Kyo Zanardi after the Fort Lauderdale Indy games. I know you watched Napoon right. about the flexibility of the four four two and the ability to kind of pull a, uh, your second striker, in this case Ianaccio, back into the midfield to serve as kind of a number ten. Same thing that uh, we saw Lester do consistently all year with Okazaki, where he would drift back into the midfield, not to be a playmaker, the number ten, but be more of a defensive number ten uh, and, and, and keep uh, keep the shape defensively. So. I think the 4-4-2 is beginning to make a comeback, and Ianaccio, a big part of that for Manchester City, be interesting to see what Pep does next season, because I think he's going to need to keep Ianaccio in the team, considering how well he's done, and I agree with you, very appropriate that he's the guy who gets the goal that keeps City in the Champions League. He's been fantastic, been a revelation this year. Chris, I was pretty impressed by Swansea's play in this game. Uh, there was a part of me that wondered if Swansea will even show up for this game, but they were absolutely a credit to themselves, played to win, uh, created chances, and were pretty effective on the break, found lots of open space in the middle of the park, which is something that City will worry about. But talk to me about Swansea. I thought this was another good performance, and they find themselves, uh, they were once in a relegation battle, but now they're, uh, they finished the season in 12th place, equal on points with Everton. Exactly, and I, I think you touched on it. They found themselves in a relegation battle, and when Gary Monk was let go, there was a lot of people who really questioned the decision and actually felt that it was more of the players' burden. Yeah, that, I was one of those, I think, to be fair. I think that notion can exist in the sense that the difficulty I find with, with the modern footballer is they're so easily swayed in terms of confidence and, and ability and performance. Um, and I talked to, to Bobby Warshaw about this, about the idea of when you're struggling and when you're in a relegation team. He said you feel like a worse person, like you feel like you're you know you're a bad footballer, and, and it seeps into every kind of facet of of the football club. And I think maybe that's just what Swansea needed was a change. Um, the, the Guidolin thing, we've talked about it, and I think I said that it would be a good break point in the summer. That's obviously not how things have actually panned out for them. They've they've signed him now to a two-year deal. And it means they can go into the summer with, with a kind of renewed sense of optimism. I think that team still needs to make changes. I thought they played very well against Man City. I think that's true. I think the likes of Gomez, like, they have to go. I think you maybe need a little bit more... Uh, um, from the fullbacks, in terms of you need to go out and get some attacking ones. I also see the fact that the Boney is linked with a return. I, I just think that would be a bad idea to go backwards like that and, and bring in Joe Allen and Boney because I think they'll be very expensive relative to the market. And it would be a good opportunity now for Swansea as a club to essentially move into its next chapter and its next era with Guidelin and, and give him the, the opportunity to go out and buy players that, that, that he likes. Because I think with Pulaski, you've seen someone who has given you enough to think that, again, Guidelin has a good eye for talent. Guidelin is a... Guidelin had a, was a very good manager at Udinese. So I know the Premier League is wide open now. I'm not saying they're going to be next season's Leicester. There's, we've got to see a lot more. But he's a manager. If there's a manager out there that's capable of pulling that off and, and jumping a team from 14th or whatever they finish, 13th to, uh, to, to 4th, it might be him. Yeah, good point. And uh, Chris, I agree. Bonnie got a huge ovation uh, at at Swansea, still loved by the players there, but probably a step backwards, to be fair. Uh, Karthik, one short question for you, because we need to move on to the Arsenal game, but uh, was this Yaya Toure's final game in a Man City shirt? <sighs> I think it is, and I, I wish if it had been, he would have gotten more of a run out and, and, and more time. Well, I mean, to be fair, I, the, can I, he really honestly, run more than three minutes these days? Well, yeah, he's coming off an injury. <laughs> it, it's... Um, it really speaks uh, very um, poorly of Manchester City supporters the way the reaction has, was to Pellegrini last week and right. things I've seen on social media about Yaya Torre. I mean, I, I uh, and you can relate to this as a United supporter, Nipun. I mean, he uh, was the game changer, maybe even in the rivalry between the two clubs. Yep. Um, and, and Aguero, and big, for sure. Yeah, yeah Aguero also. But um, uh, Torre was one of them, one of the ones that catapulted Manchester City to a, to a higher level. And to see uh, Manchester City fans describe him as lazy... And uh, not uh, uh, not not up for it, and, and uh, we just need to uh, get rid of this guy. I, I'm not quite sure uh, where 
sentiment has gone with supporters of our club. Again, I think there's a lot of front runners who've become fans in the last uh, few seasons. Who uh, I-, I could never see, uh, for example, since we have Chris on this show, Newcastle supporters treating uh, a player who has played as well as Yaya Torre had for their club the way he's being treated by many Manchester City supporters. So I- I'm I'm disgusted by it and, and have to unfortunately say something very similar to what I said last week about the way Pellegrini's been. Uh, treated by some of our supporters. Yeah, well said. Uh, speaking of supporters that are very unpredictable, Arsenal won four nothing against Villa here, uh, Chris. So th- coming into this game, uh, Arsenal needed to secure some points. Uh, need need to secure all three points in this game with the knowledge that if Tottenham did the same, Tottenham would finish ahead of Villa, uh, Arsenal. And we'll get to Tottenham next. But in general, uh, with Arsenal getting a comfortable win, is there a sense of well, they've hit hit the form uh, of their season just at the time when they weren't really under pressure uh, in the last, what, three, four weeks when pretty much everything was done. The thing is, and I think a Tottenham fan tweeted this at me, to be honest, um, the, the Pochettino end-of-season drop is now starting to become a, a bit of a, uh, a proven theory. And it's it's a bit concerning as well, I suppose, because again they managed to go I think a little bit longer than Pochettino's Southampton sides did, but again it's just that drop off. And I think what you'd have to say is, on the surface you might look at it superficially and say again Arsenal finished top. You've got uh, Wojciech Szczesny tweeting that video and all that kind of stuff. That's you know that's fine. That's that's the kind of usual back and forth you can expect. I just think Tottenham need a little bit of perspective on this in the sense. That they've made the Champions League, they've I would say improved a number of their players. They've managed to integrate Eric Lamella into the team, which was a big one. And there's a lot of good things to take from from the season. As for Arsenal, if the the same Totteringham's there is the thing that kind of consoles you after a disappointing season, right. use it for that. Because I think if I'm looking at the two clubs, I think Arsenal needs the greater changes if they want to reach their potential comparative to Spurs. Karthik with Villa, um, in some ways, when I saw that first Giroud goal, I think it was the eighth, seventh minute maybe, it summarized Villa's entire season in some ways. They went five at the back, Karthik. You'd think they have some uh, some solidity. But all three central defenders were ball-watching, and Giroud could have taken a first touch, eaten a sandwich, taken a nap, got up, and put that ball away into the goal. It was horrendous defending. Uh, and Villa, it's no accident that Villa find themselves where they are. Yeah, and uh, undid some otherwise decent play from them. I mean, there have been long stretches of, of many games this season. Uh, maybe not the 6-1 or 8-1 or whatever it was against Liverpool, but uh, long stretches of, of many Villa matches I've seen where they look good and they've been undone by defensive errors, and it's usually been from central defense. And ball watching, uh, being out of position, one guy not playing an offside line and the other uh, playing communication being very poor. Uh, some poor goalkeeping at times, too. That wasn't the case with Mark Bunn today. He just, he just hung out to dry time and again by his back line. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the road is back for Villa. I, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult uh, uh, road back to the Premier League. The first goal for them has got to be to get to to 55 points or whatever in the championship ensures safety next season and build from that, consolidate. I think it's going to be several years in all likelihood before we see them back in the Premier League. Uh, as far as Arsenal, I'll, I'll add to the uh, to the Wojciech Szczesny uh, tweet that there was a tweet by Lucas Podolski, which I retweeted. That's because it was amusing. Uh, even the former uh, Arsenal players get a lot of uh, uh, enjoyment out of tormenting Spurs. But um, I guess if that's... What spurs them on, or and that's wrong use of work, but that's what uh, encourages them for, for the future, as Chris says, then uh, so be it. Again, uh, they, they haven't won anything this season, but they've, uh, they've managed to finish ahead of Spurs. And, and like so many of the recent seasons, uh, last year being an exception, last year there was a pretty uh, substantial gap between Spurs, uh, who did finish fifth, but, uh, and Arsenal in third. The point gap between these clubs is typically now becoming one, two, three points every season. So you have to think some of it is, is psychological with Spurs because I, I just think back to the game against Newcastle uh, in 2013, three years ago, 
um, four seasons ago now when uh, Arsenal beat Newcastle on the final day at St. James Park and had this massive celebration on the pitch. They finished one point ahead of Spurs that season. This season, again, they finished one point ahead of Spurs. And we're hearing all of this uh, uh, this hubris, all this uh, big talk from uh, from Arsenal supporters and former Arsenal players. So um, maybe, maybe this is taking their, their perspective off what they really should be focused on. I don't know. Yeah. Let's let's go to that Newcastle Tottenham game. Another game between a top four uh, team and a relegation bound team. Uh, it was a surprising scoreline that gives Newcastle fans something to cheer about, even though they will be disappointed by how the season turned out. Whereas Tottenham supporters, even though they will be upset, understandably, at missing the chance to finish above rivals Arsenal, they should be pleased with the progress they've seen under Pochettino. And Chris, you were hitting on this in the last uh, section when we were talking about Arsenal. So uh, expand on that a little bit. I just think that, again, the ending wasn't brilliant for Tottenham. I think the fans have a right to be frustrated that they've given up that position. And I think over time we'll see how given and destructive that fall away has been to them in terms of moving past the idea of being typical Tottenham. I think if you then look at the painting from a, a few feet back, you start to see that actually there's a lot of positives to take. Harry Kane has maintained his form, and you would argue has cemented the idea that he is a top-class striker. You've also been able to include Eric Lamella in this team in a very right. positive way to the point where... Incredible goal from him today. I still don't understand how that went into the net. Exactly. The fact that he can now contribute with assists and goals and actually be a game-changer. You look at games like the City game where he comes on and he provides the, the winning assist. That's what he was brought to do. So the fact that they've been able to work through those issues, bring on the likes of Deli Ali, bring on the likes of uh, uh, Eric Dyer as well, I think even raise the level of Moussa Dembele slightly. Those are all big positives to take, and you've now got that as a foundation to then take what will be a, a real decent-sized television money package, Champions League football, and attract arguably an even better quality of player to build on and then once again raise that level. So I think there's a lot of positives for for Spurs to take of course it's never nice to, to go into the summer with the fact that it's St. Tottenham's Day all that kind of stuff that's right. associated with that rivalry I do think it just needs a little bit of perspective at the minute on everything that's been achieved this year and, and not as we say over here throwing the baby out with the bathwater Karthik the danger for Spurs as uh, Chris talked about there with, with the money coming in and them able to invest is the last time they had that chance uh, they bought a lot of players that were not very good for the team uh, and were pretty soon sold uh, sold as well. I think they spent over $100 million the last time uh, and didn't get much of a return on that. So that is the danger. But let's talk about Newcastle for a minute here, Karthik. Um, where was this performance this whole time that they've needed it? If they had if they had put away one of these goals in that nil-nil draw last week, we would be talking about an entirely different final game day. Uh, is there a feeling, I guess, what, what's the focus here? Is the focus Benitez? Is the focus what was a very good attacking performance, even though they were down a man? Or should the focus entirely be on a very poor defensive performance by Spurs? Yeah, And in fairness, I think they probably would have needed more than one result, not just right. that Villa result to stay up. They would have needed it to make this game meaningful because I, I do believe, even though I know we're going to get to the game later, some uh, strange officiating in that match, I do think Sunderland, if they had had to have the points today, at Watford would have gotten full three points. So um, let's not forget that. I, I think the focus is Benitez. Rafa has organized this side. There's a spirit in the team. There's, there's a fight in them that just was not there in the last, I would say, three months under Steve McLaren. By the way, they did the double over uh, Spurs this season. Uh, the the match they get uh, at Whitehart Lane in early December was a game, I, if you remember, Dupun, I was touting the Newcastle turnaround at the time, thinking that that was a harbinger of a Newcastle turnaround and a potential Spurs collapse, and didn't turn out to be that for either side. But um, I think Benitez has won over the supporters uh, as he did at Liverpool in a relatively short period of time. There was a, as Chris had predicted midweek and had gone through, uh, given us the lens into what... Uh, the match day would be like, because those of us on the outside just assumed it would be another protest against Mike Ashley. Chris very poignantly told us it was going to be about Rafa Benitez, and it was. 15,000 signatures on the petition, Newcastle supporters begging him to stay. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, there was just a, a feel-good factor at the ground today. Uh, St. James Park, which has been such a toxic place, I think now for years, 
uh, after relegation was more upbeat and uh, uplifting than it than it's been these last few years as Newcastle's managed to survive in the Premier League. So I think I think it is about Rafa. It's his decision on whether he wants to stay. Uh, my thinking is that um, he will not be offered the Everton job and should never go there as as, as a former Liverpool manager. So if Everton's not available and he really does want to stay in England, which I believe is his plan now, maybe he just sees this through and, and relishes the opportunity to have some long-term security to build something special at a very big club that has been down for a long time now. The one caveat to that, and I think Chris can probably elaborate on this more, will Mike Ashley and the uh, and Don Lee and the people in, in that uh, Ashley has entrusted with football decisions be willing to let go of that and give the power to Rafa Benitez. Uh, I think they're going to have to because they're going to lose the supporters. If Rafa leaves now because he didn't get the authority and decision-making power he needs to rebuild the playing squad, uh, I think as bad as things are for Mike Ashley, it could get worse. Uh, one other quick note. I know I'm, I'm rambling on here. There are some reports already in the Scottish press that uh, – uh, Newcastle might face some sanction from the Football League if Mike Ashley doesn't clean up some of his uh, his sponsorship deals uh, on the Rangers and Rangers. Newcastle front. So, yeah, keep an eye on that. Chris, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this. Uh, obviously, we'll know the, we'll know more about Benitez's potential decision uh, by the time we record the wrap-up podcast a week from today. Uh, but just jumping off on what Karthik said, for me, the big concern is whether or not he's given enough power. We We know that Rafa has a history of falling out with with owners, uh, even owners that are rather, let's say, malleable. And then you have someone who's a complete, uh, uh, what's the right word? Complete uh, pedant, I guess, in terms of Mike Ashley and con- controlling what he wants and seeing things the way he sees them. Can you see him having a good working relationship with Rafa, especially when we know that the fact that they're going into the championship will mean that they will be at least somewhat of an exit of some quality players? I don't know if he has any right to be a difficult owner at this point. I think, again, you can can spin it in a variety of different ways. At the, this precise moment, Newcastle is a sinking ship for him in terms of an asset because it's going to start hemorrhaging money. There's players on big money there as well um, who are going to collect big wages in the, the second tier. There, there is those who you will sell, of course. You can't sell all of them, though. There is some that will not attract offers. It's as simple as that. And I think what you have to do is, and you know, I wrote this during the week for, for ITV, they have to stop operating with this concoction of arrogance and ignorance. Arrogance in the sense that they think they can always find a better deal, a better offer, and they can play the system in an intelligent way. Ignorance in the sense that they refuse to accept made a mistake when they've given McLaren seven months and it, it's not working two months in, three months in, to the point where McLaren himself would say, judge me after 10 games judge me after 12 games and nothing had vastly changed there's a there's a saying in England about not looking a gift horse in the mouth I'm inclined to to think that's what this is here in the sense that Rafa Benitez has has he got all the perfect results no because if he had they'd be staying up I think he's dramatically improved the quality of play though and the quality of this Newcastle team to the point where they went down a man today against Tottenham Hotspur and still managed to score three goals. The dive for the penalty aside, they scored two very clean goals in open play and took advantage of a Spurs side that I think had every right to, to demolish them. Things like that, added with the fact that he's talking about wanting to implement a structure, wanting to put ideas in there. It's it's just a perfect fit in so many ways that Newcastle have needed this structure and Benitez is wanting to in, instigate it. The one thing I will always say about Mike Ashley is never try to predict him, though, because I'm sure Alan Shearer will, will talk about it more in the next coming weeks. He he had agreed to become manager the last time they went down. Everything was agreed. They shook hands. He never heard from him again. This is the kind of a businessman that he is, and in some ways it's why he's in the position he is financially, because he is ruthless to the point of a fault. And my concern would be, from a Newcastle perspective, is that he will think can get a better deal, that he can find someone better, when the truth is, he really can't at this point. He's He's got a, a real golden goose in front of him here, a manager who could take them into the top 10 if if they get promoted, will actually give them a structure and an understanding and an identity, and build him a lot of positive PR with the supporters. 
So if I was him, I would pay for it because there's no amount of free mugs, flags or scarves that are going to generate the kind of goodwill that signing Rafa Benitez will. And, and I think also, let me just add to that, that if he doesn't re-sign Rafa Benitez, uh, the Jordy faithful who have already ha- have the knives out for Chanley and, and Ashley, it's going to get even uglier and uglier with relegation and with Benitez potentially walking away. Uh, I think uh, the club has to do... Uh, it, it, they, I don't think they have any choice in this matter. I think whatever Rafa wants, they have to give him. Uh, if they start next season in the championship with another manager, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Ashley to re- re- uh, repair whatever little bits of credibility he might still have with some of the supporters. Yeah, I, I think I agree on all that, and we'll know we'll have a more in-depth version of this conversation next week. Let's move ahead to the Chelsea draw against Leicester City, gentlemen. Uh, mostly a what seemed like a, a testimonial game for the most part, a very uh, relaxed atmosphere at Stamford Bridge. Uh, the the it, it didn't seem like there was much at stake because there really wasn't. Chelsea finished the season 10th. Uh, Leicester City win the Premier League, as we know, as we discussed last week, uh, by 10 points from second place Arsenal, which is a crazy, crazy, crazy uh, thing to declare. I, I mean, I still find myself surprised when I'm saying it out loud. Leicester City wins by 10 points. It's pretty insane. A brilliant drink water strike is what cancelled out the Fabregas uh, early goal. Uh, Karthik, I know that since there were 10 games for us, 9 games for us to watch, uh, at least I didn't really pay attention a lot to this game. What I wanted to ask you about was, when I was looking at the squad, no Matt Miazga yet again in the squad, even though uh, the likes of Tomori, Baba Rahman, Traore, Loftus-Cheek were played in this game and does not bode very well for the young U.S. men's national team international. Yeah, I I actually noted that also and was very bothered by it. And... Uh, I, I, I know he had a poor first half against Swansea, but he hasn't seen the pitch since. He hasn't seen the bench since, if I'm not right. mistaken. Exactly. And uh, it's, it's very, yeah, and it's uh, it's quite quite a shock. I mean, I thought he played well in the 90 minutes he had against Villa. We're now going back uh, a month and a half or a little bit over a month since that Swansea match. So very disappointing. On, on the Leicester side, uh, uh, Drinkwater strike was brilliant. And... Uh, fitting of the champions. Even in the game, which was a kick around, they weren't playing at full speed. They've got a parade tomorrow. conte has been named to the France team for the Euros, so you know he's played a lot of football. He wants right. to preserve himself. Wes Morgan uh, will be in the Copa squad for uh, for uh, Jamaica. He's played more football than anyone on the planet, maybe, or at least at, at high-level leagues on the planet between uh, Jamaica and, uh, uh, and Leicester over the last uh, 15 months. Uh, so there was a relaxed atmosphere, but they still got the draw, which is, again... They continue to grind out results, right. um, which is why they're champions. Not only are they champions, as you point out, they've won the t- uh, title by double digits, which is the uh, first team in a few seasons. Uh, United uh, in first last year bested City by 11 points. Um, and, uh, um, you know, one of the, uh, in this era of hyper-competitive Premier League uh, title races, uh, not only the Leicester win the title, which is remarkable, not only the Leicester make the top four, which is remarkable, they won the title by double-digit points. It's It's... Something that uh, is an added uh, footnote to uh, this remarkable story. Yeah, they ran away with the Premier League in reality. They they really did. That, I think that's a good way to summarize that. And we'll talk about the the uh, madness that was Chelsea's season next week. So let's move ahead, uh, Chris, to talk about the Stoke win against West Ham. Coming into this game, West Ham really had a good opportunity to go, jump ahead of Man United uh, to secure a European spot. And as it turned out, they, they, they had a good start. Uh, I thought Mikel Antonio, uh, who I, I think deserves credit for his last three performances, he, he was horrendous in that Chelsea game, but excellent against United, excellent against Everton, and uh, scored a goal today. But then West Ham just missed chance after chance after chance, and somehow Stoke City managed to score two goals to win this game. I think it's worth noting with Antonio as well, he didn't start the season in the first team. Right. In fact, there was a lot of reports talking about the fact that he hadn't played any games and, and was it a case of he wasn't Premier League quality. So I think he deserves immense credit for being able to battle through that and actually really force himself in there in, into contention for West Ham and become an important, an important, an important player, important player for him. For West Ham, it, it does mirror Tottenham slightly in the sense that, again, you've achieved a lot relative to what was expected. There was certainly uncertainty about uh, Slavin Bilic before he arrived and, and would the team actually be able to succeed under him 
it's about building for next season. That's the thing. In, in Dimitri Payet, you've got someone that I don't think will will have a, a huge drop off next season. I think his quality stays at, at a very similar level, if if only a marginal drop off. And it's now about getting players around him because I think if if you look at things for West Ham, and it probably bore itself out a little bit today against Stoke, they've certainly got quality in attack. And I saw an interview with Pai where he said that there was a game I want to say at Arsenal or Anfield where Mark Noble said to him, no, no, you go and attack, we'll do your defending for you. I think they need to shift the balance a little bit with this team and make it so it's not all about Pai, that there's there's a few more creators in there and piano players and players that they can call. And I think you've got Lanzini, who is one. I just want to see a little bit more in their attacking outlets because I think that's what will push them up the league uh, um, next season. Karthik, let's talk a little bit about Stoke here. Since since uh, conceding four goals in each game against City, Stoke, and uh, and Liverpool, Stoke have won four, drawn two, and lost just one game in the last seven, and has helped them to get a top ten finish. And what I find pretty amazing is that in those games, Karthik, it's been a case of not uh, uh, not the kind of football that we considered the the Husey way, but the way they've got these points has been the old-school Stoke with goals from uh, set up from Crouch and goals from Crouch and goals from set pieces. So it's almost a sense of, hey, old-school Stoke is back here for the end of the season. And it's working. Yeah, uh, it, it worked to a certain extent. They um, they also had that loss to uh, to uh, to Palace in there, right? So, right, um, yeah, the one loss. Yeah, right. So that, that, that was a, a disappointing loss. They... Um, they're going to have to figure out how how to get the best out of their players next season. I, I thought Sha- uh, Shakiri was fairly disappointing. There were there were matches where he was very good, like the game against Manchester United at the Britannia, like the game against Manchester City at the Britannia. In fact, maybe he got up for those bigger games, games against bigger opponents, but he wasn't ready for the 38-game grind that is the Premier League. I, I thought uh, uh, losing Duf to injury on and off, that, that, that hurt them. Uh, Boyan, obviously, is, is a bright light, but... Um, there is uh, too much um, kind of mixing and matching, chopping and changing. Uh, we're also hearing rumors now that Sparky could be in line for the Everton job. Right. I, I don't know how he continues to be able to go from club to club uh, because Kuman. I, I know we'll get Southampton a little bit. Kuman uh, is their is their uh, number one candidate, the guy they want. My understanding from what I've read and what I'm hearing is that Kuman probably almost certainly will stay at Southampton. So. Uh, if he gets the guarantees he needs from the club. So they would look beyond to Hughes. If you're Everton, you have to look at what Sparky's done with this Stoke side and say, okay, uh, they at times are more stylistic. I know our, our, our friend, uh, our colleague Richard Farley, would get very unhappy when we were talking about Stoke Alona. Um, because they would oftentimes have to revert to this, this Route 1 kind of uh, resourcefulness. Uh, he's been able to manage somewhat of a transition and keep them in the top half. So that's a positive. But then a negative is: Are they really that much more competitive than they were under Pulis? The league has come back to them to a certain extent. Uh, the league is more competitive. They're in a stronger financial position than many of the teams in in the Premier League, and they really haven't improved. So I think we have a lot to talk about next week on the review show about this this club in particular and about uh, Sparky as a manager. Absolutely. And when we come back to Section 2, we will talk about some other important results uh, in the league. And uh, we're going to say goodbye to uh, Chris at this point. He has to go do other stuff. Uh, so, Chris, thanks for joining us. Uh, and hang on, guys, for Section 2 of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Four more games to wrap up in this second section of the World Soccer Talk podcast. So, Karthik, let's get right to it. The first game we want to talk about is Southampton comfortably beating Palace 4-1 uh, and leapfrogging United right now into fifth place. A um, couple of things to discuss here. When we were doing the preview, we were talking about how Southampton sometimes just hammer teams. And it was one of those performances. As you correctly pointed out before we started recording, it's really a bad spell in December that has cost... Southampton, the Champions League. And when I was listening to you and reading uh, you say that, I kept thinking to myself, does it go back to the form of Mane? Because at that time, he was in and out of the team, uh, and the team was very ineffective then. They, they were as low as 15th place, I think. And yet, they've had an excellent last three months uh, and have been, as I keep saying, are my next season's Leicester. 
Yeah, well, the well, it won't be as dramatic as Leicester because they they finished eighth, seventh, and let's say United gets a point against Bournemouth, sixth. sixth. So they, mm-hmm. They've been progressively being getting better each season, but they have to potentially being sucked into a relegation fight. That's how poorly they played, with the exception of the um, the three one against Chelsea. We didn't realize how bad Chelsea was at the time. The three one they got at the Bridge uh, in early in late September, early October. They were very poor. Uh, Mane had been a want away. Wanyama was having discipline problems. I think they had. Uh, integrated classy into the team. That, that continues to be a problem the rest of the season. Pella had uh, gotten injured and then lost form. Uh, Shane Long got hurt at one point. So they, they had these bombs. Kuman kept the side together and kept them focused. He's continuing the process of, of, of playing more and more young players. Uh, James Ward Prowse is, is, is uh, uh, getting more time uh, as, as time works on, uh, uh, wears on. So they, they have really ended the season strongly. I think uh, you look at. Um, the, the the progression of this club and the ambition of this club. Now the question is, are they able to keep Kuman uh, at Southampton? Ultimately, they weren't able to keep Pochettino, but Pochettino was jumping to Spurs, which is it was an established top five, top six side at the time. Uh, the great suitors for Kuman in England will likely be Everton, who have finished behind Southampton in the table now two successive seasons, and um, unless uh, Barcelona, Barcelona could always come calling for Kuman again, uh, or Barcelona or a, uh, a, a Bayern come calling for him, maybe uh, this is the best spot for him. Yeah, it really is. I mean, he's done a great job there, and, and when, we, when we were uh, reviewing uh, the managerial position, uh, the list of best managers in the Premier League with Richard uh, in January, we talked about how we all rated Ronald Kuman pretty highly, and he's uh, gone to show why we rated him as high, highly as we did. From a Palace perspective, Karthik, uh, Alan Pardew, uh, speaking of managers, it's just difficult to really understand h- how he gets the results, h- how he gets the results he does in the initial part of the season and how he's incapable of getting decent results in the second half of the season. I don't... I, I, just cannot understand how this same team has played the way they did in the first half and the second half. And can you explain it to me? Because just saying that the it's the manager's fault is, I think, a little over simplistic, and I cannot understand how it happens. It's mind-boggling. This is the third time in his career, in his recent career, that this has happened, and there's been this huge, um, this huge dip in form in the second half of the season once they've got uh, greater targets. Now, of course, they had an FA Cup run going on at right. the same time, so. All will be cured. All will be okay if they win at Wembley next week and they stay in the, in the division. But you have to worry about Crystal Palace in this ultra-competitive Premier League. You've got Middlesbrough coming back up. I don't think Middlesbrough is going to get relegated next season. Now, Burnley will be everybody's favorite to get relegated. Well, one of everyone's favorites to get relegated. But I think they might approach the Premier League. They're a very um, solvent club financially. They might approach the Premier League differently uh, next season. So Crystal Palace is probably right there among the with Bournemouth among the relegation favorites for next season among teams that are that are being uh, staying up. I expect under Big Sam Sunderland to push on and, and not be in a relegation fight. So uh, I don't know. We at Pardew, if he doesn't start this se- next season as well as he started this season, and that's a that's a big. Uh, Big ask because they were in the top five for much of the uh, of November and December. Uh, he might be gone just because uh, they can't risk Premier League survival. Premier League survival is so much more important now, even than it was uh, for fans. It's always been the same thing, right? right. Relegation is devastating, but for uh, management teams, owners, it's more devastating now than at any time in the past. Relegation, so uh, financially, it, it's something they can't risk. And Crystal Palace is a club that's not that far removed from being in administration. Yeah, well said. So Alan, uh, we'll talk about Alan Pardew and Palace a little bit more when we preview the FA Cup final uh, in Section 3. But uh, let's talk about Watford and Sunderland. Uh, the big news before this game uh, was that Kiki Sanchez-Flores, this was going to be Kiki Sanchez-Flores' last game in charge. They end with the 2-2 draw. And we'll talk about the overarching implications for both Watford and Sunderland next week. But I want to ask you, what is next for Sanchez-Flores? Where do you see him coming up? Because, again, we were talking managerial uh, ability and all of us thought that he's a very he's a good manager yeah uh, he, he won't be back at Letty we know that uh, Valencia has gone cycled through managers uh, he being one of them will, will he be the next manager there I don't think so uh, he could get a job in Italy um, not, obviously not at Udinese if it's ended badly with the Pozo family mm-hmm. uh, he could he could get another job in England I mean 
I think he certainly has earned another job in England. Where that'll be, I'm not sure. It may Everton? Not come. Um, he would be a good uh, contrast to Martinez uh, stylistically. Mm-hmm. I think it would probably be a good fit because he would get that team organized in a way Martinez couldn't. Uh, I, I, I would actually like that appointment, but I don't think they're going to make it. I think they feel like they need to, to get really uh, a sure thing. And a sure thing for them is to try and lure Kuman away from Southampton. And like I said in the previous segment or whenever we discussed Southampton, I don't believe he's going to move to Everton. But that's what they're looking at. But, yeah, Sanchez Flores might hang around without a job for the beginning of, let's say, the 16-17 the, the season. Once there's a vacancy, he could jump in. Uh, maybe he could jump in at Palace. We're just talking about Palace. That might be a, a fit for him um, because his side is certainly probably better organized than Pardew's sides. But, yeah, a bit of a stunner. And then on this game, I think that there were some um, – a strange officiating, but the match didn't really matter, so it, it won't be one of those things we, we spend the entire summer harping on the officiating right. in this match. But uh, uh, strange, strange calls, um, strange penalty uh, awarded, uh, strange, strangely disallowed goals. Uh, it was just a, it was a poorly officiated match. Uh, talking about the the next match, we talked about Everton for a second. Everton with a comfortable win, Karthik against Norwich, uh, relegated Norwich. Uh, and I guess it comes back to, uh, have, has this team been re-repressed? Were they so poorly managed by Moyes that immediately after he leaves, they get, they win with a performance that is reminiscent of the quality of player that they actually have. Yeah, or Martinez, actually. Oh, sorry, Martinez. Yeah, you're already thinking yeah. about maybe Moyes return. Yeah. Um, I, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this. They were poor at home most of the season. Uh, they were poor defensively much of the season. Timmy Howard gets a, a send-off, uh, ten, 10 seasons of the club, nine as a permanent signing. He had one season, of course, uh, where he was on loan from Manchester United. So it, it, there was a feel-good factor. I think there was a lot of relief that um, Martinez got the sack. I, I want to reiterate that this was the first uh, case I can remember recently where, you know, the media gets on so, uh, managers in this day and age and says, is this guy going to be the next guy sacked? Is this guy doing a poor job? Uh, bookies say this guy is going, to, is going to lead the sack race. This is the first case I can remember in mass recently where supporters turned on a manager long before the media speculated there was a problem with that manager. Supporters turned on Martinez months ago. Uh, it was only in the last four to six weeks the media kind of detected that Martinez was in trouble with the ownership and may not be back. Uh, so um, I think there was a, just a, a relief around the ground, and, and it showed. And as for Norwich, um, not enough quality to stay in the Premier League, and uh, Alex Neal has his work cut out for him. I, I think he did a credible job this season with what he had. Uh, they competed, right? They competed up until right. uh, match day 37, mm-hmm. which is probably more than they should have done with their squad. So I think uh, as a manager, his stock has gone up in spite of the relegation because um, – uh, Norwich, if you look, just look at their squad, they probably had the, the 20th, right? The worst squad in the league. Right. I'd say so. Um, across Merseyside, Liverpool was visiting West Brom and the game ended with a 1-1 draw. Uh, I was watching this game uh, kind of closely and I, th- I thought it was interesting because Liverpool dominated possession as we expected. I think, I, I didn't look at the stats, but I think it must have been 75 to 25% possession. Uh, and the goals came from Rondon, who we know uh, has a goal in him. Uh, but the the standout moment was an exceptional goal from Jordan Ibe. Uh, completely skinned Johnny Evans at the halfway line, turns, carries the ball into the box with the, and then a neat left foot finish. And uh, it's his first ever Premier League goal, but Karthik probably under Klopp. Uh, we, we were talking about Ihenaccio under uh, Guardiola, but uh, Jordan Ibe under Klopp is another player that needs to be seriously considered as a future star. Yeah, I did not realize it was his first ever career Premier League goal. Good stat there. Yeah, he's a guy that's coming into his own. Uh, just a little bit of a side story on this match. I uh, I collect Panini stickers every major tournament, and I hmm. uh, have a bunch of packs I haven't opened. And I open a pack of Panini stickers, and Solomon Rondon, Venezuela, is like the first sticker that comes out. Literally 10 seconds later, he scores that goal. <laughs> Sometimes there are these weird coincidences in life. So that I, I'm oh, drawing oh, a line of causation there. Yeah, I, I'll always remember this match for that reason. Um, but uh, on, on West Brom's front, uh, they have a decision to make. They have to talk to Tony Pulis. Do they want to? Uh, do they want to back him in the transfer market, or are they comfortable with where they are, which is a, a club that's managed to now stay in the Premier League for uh, 
seven successive seasons, which is a pretty big accomplishment for a yo-yo club, particularly in an area of the country where um, every other team has been relegated. When they were promoted, they were three other teams uh, right in, within a 20-mile radius of them right. that were in the league. Villa, Wolves, and Birmingham City. All three have since been relegated and not returned. Uh, Villa just getting relegated this season. But the other two were relegated, uh, Birmingham and Wolves, in, in, a few se- in the next two seasons after uh, West Brom came up and they have not returned to the Premier League. So the ownership might be cautious about Pulis and Pulis's desire to uh, have the purse strings released so he can go and spend some more money and upgrade the squad. Uh, that having been said, because everyone else is going to have money starting next season, maybe West Brom just has to uh, suck it up, uh, give Pulis an extension, and uh, and let him spend $100 million or whatever he's going <laughs> to spend. Pulis spends a lot of money wherever he is, and I think that that's now becoming an issue – uh, and we, obviously, that's why he left Crystal Palace. We know the, the, the situation with that litigation. It's becoming a discussion under the radar the last few weeks. And by the time we record our, our season-ending pod uh, next week, I think we'll know whether Pulis stays or, or he, he moves on. Uh, it's, it's very much his decision, but his decision is based on whether they will back him adequately in the transfer market to upgrade the squad. Because he, he has been honest and open saying, hey, I, uh, I, I have to efficiencies in the squad and basically said people are critiquing the way we're playing football which is the fuelless way right the, the the way we perceive being the fuelless way but he's saying he doesn't have the budget to, to change the squad in order to play a more attractive possession-based style uh so he needs that backing um it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out my guess is they will probably not want to uh uh tempt fate and they probably will just give him the money he wants and and, and let him spend mm-hmm yeah, again, we'll talk more about this next week because I think the foolish thing is very interesting, Karthik. Uh, we kind of, uh, myself, you, and a lot of people kind of demonize him on the style of football he plays. But uh, as Lawrence used to point out, you know, there is a there has to be some level of appreciation for the fact that he's able to keep teams that are somewhat lacking in talent, even if he's overspent on them, somewhat lacking in talent in the Premier League. So Yeah, and, and yeah. I think in this case, he's saying I need more money because we are lacking in talent right I, I will play differently if you get me if you back me and i can bring in some more creative players so yeah. which he uh, won't least, he won't but <laughs> right right i mean because we've seen with sam allardyce look they, right. those two are often compared i think it's a good good moment to reflect on this because allardyce is, has achieved something uh momentous by getting sunderland out of trouble again allardyce inherited a team that would have played the pewless way and uh at sunderland and he played that way the first couple months and realized you know what, I'm going to need to get a creative player and a, and, and a good two-way stopper in that team. So he went on and got, got Kirchhoff and uh, Kosri. Kosri, a very creative player. And then um, uh, Kone also, uh, you know, just a better center half. So uh, I haven't seen any evidence of Pulis, if he detects that his style isn't working, will do what Allardyce did and dip into the transfer market and get different style players. So... Um, I don't. I don't think the Pulis uh, Allardyce comparison is very apt. And also, I have to say, Allardyce is kind of a. Uh, it's been on the cutting edge of sports science, that sort of stuff, with, with how he manages his players, which Pulis hasn't been. But yeah, well, we Pulis has been on the. Pulis has been on the cutting edge of wearing sweatpants to work, so uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right, pretty good. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Let, and let's let's update our listeners on the rest of the leagues. This will be our final update. Um, in Spain, Barcelona clinched their 24th Spanish title with the two Madrid clubs behind them and Villarreal in fourth place. At the bottom of the table, at the time of recording, Levante and two out of the following three, that is Getafe, Sporting Gijón and Rio Valcano, were still in a relegation fight with their games kicking off at 1.30 Eastern time. The repercussions of a real relegation will be felt all the way to our shores, Karthik, as you know, as they're the owners of the NASL team, Rio OKC. Yeah. In Germany... Guardiola's last game in charge, uh, Bayern comfortably beat Hanover by a score of 3-1 to one and end up, ended up extending their points total to 88, 10 points ahead of second-place Dortmund. Again, reminding everyone, Leicester City also won by 10 points. So Bayern and Leicester City have that in common. Leverkusen secured the third automatic Champions League spot while Borussia Mönchengladbach entered the playoffs. At the bottom, Stuttgart will be joined by Hanover in the second tier next season, possibly with Eintracht Frankfurt, who play Nuremberger in the l- playoff game to determine which one of them will be in the top division next year. And finally, in Italy, 
Napoli secured the automatic Champions League spot after a Gonzalo Higuain hat-trick gave them a 4-1 win against Frozenone. AS Roma, in spite of an impressive 3-1 win against AC Milan, finished in the Champions League playoff spot. And reports, Karthik, are coming in that in spite of the contradictory reports, club legend Francesco Totti has been offered a new contract. Tell me briefly about that. I definitely thought that this was his last uh, last uh, year at, at Roma. Yeah, and the question is, does he want to go out a big part player or does he want to retire now? Um, obviously, there's some disappointment with Roma slipping to third. Um, mm-hmm. Roma has not won a title uh, since uh, since uh, uh, the, the late 90s. Right. Fabio Capello was there. So mm-hmm. uh, they've been second a number of times. Second, I, I, we famously have talked about in the last few weeks because Claudio Ranieri had them ahead of Jose Mourinho's injury right. the table and got caught. Uh, people were predicting something similar would happen to Leicester. Obviously, it didn't. Ranieri won the title this time around. But uh, I wonder if Toti wants to give it one more go because we, we keep thinking Juve cannot win the title every single season. And Napoli's been knocking on the door, door for a number of years now, going back to when Mazzari managed them, then Benitez now, and then now, uh, it, it seems like something will give, and it'll be Roma or Napoli, which is uh, momentous for both of those clubs. I, I think mm-hmm. it's been underappreciated how well both clubs have done in this era of uh, Juve dominance. There's the storyline is Juve's dominating, uh, the Milan clubs are down, but both Napoli and Roma have been there, uh, knocking on the door. Uh, it's Totti's decision. One the magician. I'd hate to see him play for another club in Europe. So if he's going to retire, retire, or come to the United States, or go to China, or go to Qatar, wherever. But uh, don't play for another European club, and and I don't think he will. I yeah, think I don't think he will take either. This or he'll he'll retire or move to another continent. Yep, agreed. So when we come back for section three, we'll preview the uh, Europa League final and the FA Cup final, and then we will be calling it a night. This was section two. Wait for us and hang out with us for section three of the World Soccer Talk podcast. We'll be right back. In this final section, Karthik, let's start with the Europa League final. Uh, Liverpool to play Sevilla. First of all, I mean, I think one of the most underappreciated stories in all of football is the fact that Sevilla is going for a hat-trick of Europa League titles. I mean, how amazing would that be if they won three back-to-back? Oh, that would be amazing. They won two back-to-back. Obviously, they've won two back-to-back now, but they won two back-to-back in 06 and 07. So mm-hmm. this is this will be five in 11 seasons, 11 tournaments. Some of those years, they were in Champions League. Although, I think one of those years, they were in Champions League and dropped down and won it. So, oh, and this year as well. Right. So would be it would be pretty amazing if they did win it. Uh, they're a good squad. They're confident in, in these sorts of matches. So it, they're certainly the favorite. Absolutely. The, their main player has to be Gamero, who who has really taken over. He's a converted himself into a, a number nine for the uh, for the most part and has had a really good season, scored seven in the Europa League. And we know that Liverpool's defense, especially uh, lacking uh, Mohamed Sako, has struggled a little bit, especially on set pieces. So Liverpool has rested their entire squad. They rested their, almost their entire squad today, including the goalkeeper. Uh, Bogdan did play today. So expect Sturridge, Coutinho, Firmino to all be involved, probably all start in this game. And uh, for me, based on that fact, looking at the, the talent that Coutinho in particular uh, has, I have to give the edge to Liverpool here. Yeah, I um, I think Sevilla has the edge just because of their European experience. But on, on paper, uh, obviously Origi is out. That that hurts uh, uh, Liverpool, but it doesn't hurt him as much with Sturridge fit. You just never you want Origi to be fit because you just assume Sturridge won't be. But he he should he is ready for this match. He was rested today, as you mentioned. Uh, I think uh, Jurgen Klopp has got something very special going on. Liverpool has essentially tossed away their domestic campaign. They finished eighth in the Premier League, which is their mm-hmm. lowest finish. Right. Equals their lowest finish, I think, in, in uh, uh, the – well, it's their lowest, uh, I think, league finish, top division league finish, if you look at it in, in tied for it over the last 40 years. But no one's thought about that. No one cares about that right now because they've had such a good run in Europa League. Not only – they got into the finals, but it's who they've beaten to get to the finals. Uh, they they were essentially thrown the toughest uh, knockout stage uh, path possible uh, in, in the competition. When they played Manchester United, is what well, you're well, getting. Well, that was one of them. <laughs> right? I'm kidding. And, Obviously and kidding. And, and Villarreal. I mean, they, they just got they just kept getting the toughest potential opponent. They got in Manchester United a rival, uh, the team with the greatest European pedigree in the competition. 
and they beat them over two legs. Then they got Borussia Dortmund, one of the best teams in Europe, beat them yeah. over two legs. Then they got Villarreal, the best team in Spain that wasn't playing, trying to win the Champions League. They can beat them over two legs. So uh, it's been uh, – the, the Klopp has been focused on this since since early March, right? The, the league has just been an afterthought. The league has almost been a walkthrough to get up for these matches. They are rested. They already uh, i think sevilla are the favorites but mm-hmm. i do think liverpool will win i think there's something special going on there they're going to win this match you're going to get into champions league uh the big uh concern for me is what you highlighted earlier without soccer they've been uh, it's been a bugaboo of Klopp since he got to liverpool because he replaced brendan Rodgers about their sloppy set piece defending and, and a lot of that came from uh, the uh the marking scheme under Rodgers, and and uh he's tried to evolve it and it got better with Sokka in there, but now, now it's reverted to uh, being very sloppy. So they're going to have to uh, defend uh, the and 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 um, it'd be good to see uh, an English club win this competition. I mean, Chelsea won it that one year under Rafa Benitez, but they dropped down from Champions League. I think for for those of us who love English football, we think very fondly of, of, of Fulham's run to the final this competition right. and Middlesbrough's run to the final this competition. But in both cases, they were beaten by. Uh, Spanish sides. Middlesbrough was beaten by uh, by Sevilla, and uh, you know, heartbreakingly, Fulham lost an extra time. Uh, Diego Forlan goal for Atleti. Uh, Kiki Sanchez Flores was their manager. Incidentally, was the manager of uh, of uh, Atleti. So it would be great to see Liverpool beat a Spanish side in a European final. That'd be big for the Premier League. Not just I know you as a Manchester United fan don't want to hear this, but nope. it'd be big for English football if <laughs> Liverpool can can beat a Spanish side, a big Spanish side in a European final. It's been a long time since an English team has beaten the Spanish side head-to-head in a really meaningful match. I, I can't even think of the most recent one. Uh, Chelsea beating Barcelona, I guess, over two legs, 2012. It's been yeah. two years. So, so if, if Liverpool does beat Sevilla, my, my heart goes out to Fernando Llorente last year at this time on the bench in the final of the Champions League, lost to Barcelona at Juventus this year. Definitely going to be on the bench. I don't think he starts. And if he loses to Liverpool, yeah. then uh, it's not back-to-back years where he's and lost. And Llorente was only on the bench because Morata had become the hero. Right, but exactly. For uh, Juve. Yeah, so it will be a, a very entertaining game. As you said, whatever happens, even if Liverpool loses this game, I think Liverpool supporters are going to be buoyed by some of the things they've seen in Europe this year with a team that was inherited as opposed to built by Klopp. So the future is frighteningly bright from my perspective for Liverpool. Uh, let's preview... Manchester United Palace, the preview, uh, the FA Cup final, which will be played next uh, on Saturday, I think it is. Uh, United will probably rotate the squad whenever it is that the game is rescheduled. As of right now, I checked Twitter and the latest report said it's going to be played Tuesday night uh, at eight Eastern, so um, three three. Uh, no, that can't be right. Uh, at three Eastern, so eight PM British time. Uh, and the, the the let's talk about the the key matchups here and the, and the key men, Karthik, obviously the key man for United throughout the FA Cup and throughout the season in general has been Anthony Martial. Uh, he is coming back from what was a short-term injury, so that will be important, having him and Rashford fit. But for Palace, even though we have talked about some of their feelings, I think there's some serious danger men on that team. I, I'm a huge fan of Yannick Balassi, and I think he will leave Palace this summer. Uh, and of course, we know of the... The, the influence that Kabai can have. So those two players in particular, I think, are the danger men from a Palace perspective. Yeah, I think there, there's several danger men for Palace, which is why uh, this, this, uh, this I wanted to call the late-season swoon under Alan Carter, but it's really been more than late-season. This uh, four-month swoon has been so frustrating. There are danger men on this side. I think Jason Punchin's a guy. He got another goal. Uh, neglected to mention that when we reviewed their match this week, he's beginning to find some form. He went however many months without scoring, and he had been a big part last season of of, of uh, their success after Pardew came in between scoring goals and setting up uh, setting up other uh, other uh, players to score. So he he's a, a danger man. I really think that uh, in in uh, Yedidak, you have a guy who can can hold down the midfield if he plays. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Kabai. Uh, coming off the bench, Fraser Campbell is very, very effective uh, still to me. Uh, Adabayor is a potential danger man late, late, late on. Second All right. Uh, they're not playing Arsenal, so he may not be <laughs> as motivated, but he, uh, he still has some danger in him. So I, I think it will be, uh, to me, 
very, very intriguing to see how Pardew sets up his team. He has some options. I also, Speroni got the start today, and I think maybe that was because he was rotating. But I, I think Speroni's a much better keeper than Hennessy. Uh, I, I've been surprised. I think Hennessy might be hurt now, right? Is that what Speroni's starting? Yeah, I actually um, don't know that one, yeah. Yeah, um, but I, I think that they're better off with Speroni as their keeper uh, than, uh, than with uh, uh, Hennessy. So that, that that's a potential advantage for them. I also think if you look at... Um, a guy like Chung Young Lee coming off the bench. He's a guy who can make a difference, can take players on one-on-one. They have a lot of options. Dwight Gale's another guy. I mean, these names are just coming to me as, as we're discussing. Wilfred Zaha. Zaha is another guy. Right. They have a lot of guys who can run at an inexperienced United defense that's been solid this season because they've been well-organized under Ron Hall. Uh, he's done a good job of that, and they've also kept the ball. Right? They kept more possession than any team in the Premier League. But uh, I can see in individual matchups, the difference makers for Palace may be uh, creating some magic. So I think this is going to be a competitive game. Uh, I, I, look, Palace is underachieved. They're not, they're not the 15th or 16th or wherever they're going to finish in the league best team in the Premier League on paper. They're 8th or ninth. Uh, United is 4th or 5th. So there's not not much of a gap between these two clubs. Wembley brings out the best in, in smaller eyes. We know that historically. I um I think United will win, but I think it's going to be very competitive. I wouldn't be shocked if Palace won. I wouldn't be shocked if this won 120 minutes and the penalties. Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my prediction. I think it will go to extra time and maybe PKs. And uh, at that point, it's really a crapshoot. And uh, since I'm a uh, pretty negative Man United supporter, I think Palace will end up winning, which will be the end of the Louis van Hall era. Uh, at Manchester United and we will be uh, uh, not to- unless he beats up uh, maybe he beats Bournemouth by 18 goals or 20 goals Nine, we need 19 Karthik and I can see it happening 19. But, but you have to realize that yeah. it will be nil-nil at halftime and then 19 goals in the second half right. <laughs> uh, so gentlemen and listeners there will be no midweek podcast this week but we will be back next Sunday to do our end of season wrap up as well as reviewing the Europa League and FA Cup final and previewing the Champions League final between the two Madrid sides. If you'd like to reach out to us, tweet us at WSoccerTalk at Nipunchobra7. You can find Karthik at KKFLA737 and Chris at KHenaj. Until then, from the gaffer Chris Harris, Chris Henaj and myself, Nipunchobra, Karthik. Unless you're suffering from Spurs syndrome, you're <laughs> going to enjoy your football this <laughs>